Welcome back in to Don't Retire, Semi-Retire. I'm John Jagge. I'm joined by Zurich Oz. Zurich, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me back, John. So I would urge you to check out the first three episodes of our podcast because we're going to take it to uh, the next step in our process here if you haven't done so yet. Talking about people have ideas of what they want to do when they retire. And sometimes they dive in whole hog and find out, oh, this isn't all it was cracked up to be. So in our previous episode where we left off in episode three, we talked about short-term trials of things you like or places you might want to be and figuring out what aspects of those situations you like. And today we're getting into sort of a longer term trial after we get some more data on this process. Right, Zurich? Yeah, that's the plan. Before you kind of came up with the different aspects of something you liked or what you liked for a week or, you know, what were the aspects of it and what could you track that things that you really enjoyed or things that you hated about it. And now we're going to get more serious. There are no fives. You're going to rate everything from one to 10 and decide how much you liked certain aspects and didn't like certain aspects. Five is a cop out. We can't do a five. Right. Four or below, six or above. And then you can look at the actual data. That's exactly right. 10 should be the greatest and most glorious thing you ever did. And one should be the most horrible thing you ever did. If you create that sort of polarization, it makes the numbers actually matter versus everyone's polite and no one knows anything. (laughs) Zurich, this is kind of a strange analogy, but I love it. This process is like looking for your long-term romantic partner. You're committing to one person. You're in a monogamous relationship almost, right? In a lot of ways, it's like up until now, you've dated a lot of different people. You've played the field. You've tried to see what you like, what you don't like, whatever. And, and then maybe now you're at the point where like, huh, well, let's test the connection. I use a dating analogy because everyone seems to have some experience with that. You know, it doesn't matter if you're married now or single or married eight times, divorced eight times, or, you know, want to be solo again forever. The point is we all want love, excitement, and happiness. And that really is the purpose of long-term retirement, in my, my, my mind, eventually, or even semi-retirement. And sometimes you have to try it over and over to find it. And the bottom line really here is up to this point, you've kind of taken the broad strokes to figure out what you like. And if you take the dating analogy a step further, it's like you've figured out the age, the gender, the orientation, the height, you know, maybe the culture, the language, the religion, the family, the national origin, the hobbies, goals, passions, whatever. But you've come up with, okay, this person I'm with, they meet my needs on these various things. Let's try and say it for six months, see kind of how we go. Sometimes the thing about dating is you meet somebody and they have qualities that you weren't expecting you were going to like, but you do. You may have had it in your head what your perfect mate looked like, but through this process of dating, maybe I'm not going to end up with a blonde. Maybe I'll end right. up with a brunette. Or you know, maybe I'm not going to end up with a guy who's really ripped and muscle. Maybe I'm with a guy who's like a slender and more of a runner. Whatever the situation may be, right. you find the aspects you like and put them together to really give more of a long-term test here. Right. The part that I really want to be clear about here is that you should be counting your blessings if you're at this phase in the financial process. You know, very few people have the opportunity to say, hey, gee, I'm going to decide what I want to do, what I'm actually going to be happy experiencing for the rest of my life. A lot of people never have that opportunity. So this is a part where you should actually consider yourself blessed if you got here, regardless of how scary or frustrating the process might be. You got this far and that's fantastic. But if you think about it again from the dating perspective, This is about testing a serious connection. You know, you had a lot of bad dates, you had some great ones, you found someone who can, you know, not only hold a conversation at dinner and make you laugh, but maybe is a good kisser and who doesn't bore you to tears in the morning, you know? (laughs) So by now it's kind of time to sort it out and say, all right, I'm going to give this a focused trial. You know, it could be six months or six years, but let's just try this and get more serious. Let's dig in a little bit deeper, Zurich. Talk about the science or the scientific method behind this process, because there's actually some real importance here. Right. The scientific method 
the basic general steps, as we all know, is first, number one, make an observation, an observation that describes a problem. Number two, create a hypothesis. Number three, test the hypothesis. And number four, draw conclusions and refine the hypothesis. That's the traditional scientific method. You go through this method when you're trying to find a mate. And the thing is, Eric, we all do this. Whether you realize it's the scientific method or not, as you're dating, that's really what you're doing as you're looking for somebody to settle down with. Right, exactly. Do I like them? Do I? Maybe I like them. Ooh, do I really like them? Eh, <laughs> no, yes, maybe, whatever, right? And so in this case, we're going to try these things we learned about in session three or step three. We're going to try them out for three weeks at a time. So, you know, this is where you go away for the weekend, I suppose, and see if you can stand them. Or even worse, bring them home to meet mom and dad. Right. <laughs> right. right. So in this case, let's talk about a three-week section. Three weeks is probably a really good amount of time to figure out, do I like this activity, this experience, or maybe you think part of your deal is to live in a different location. Most people will enjoy things for about three weeks. I've tested this, I don't know, dozens of times over the last 15 years, and three weeks seems to be the sweet spot where if I love it, I'm sad to go. But if I loathe it, it's not 10 weeks. You know, Anyone yeah. can do pretty much anything for three weeks, right? So at this point, if you go through this process, the first observation really is we're going to follow the scientific method. The observation is at some point, I'll want to work less and play more. How and when? That's the observation you're trying to look at and how to test. The hypothesis is you know, for three weeks, it will give me a solid feel for this place, you know, or for the activity or for the engagement or whatever. Part two of that would be, I'll love doing this and experiencing it the whole time. And maybe three is, I'm going to be happier when I'm done and want more. Those are kind of the three core aspects of how to test these sorts of things. So now when we move into testing the hypothesis, which is section three of the scientific method, the question really is during this, do I actually feel like it's enough time? Is three weeks enough time? And that's one of the things to pay attention to during the whole process of the experience. Are you excited and you want more? Is it dull and you want less? You know, and this is more of a trend line, really, and we'll talk about how to track that in a minute. But the question you're asking yourself at this phase is, how much really fundamentally is this enough time? Because you, you don't want to build your entire retirement on something you can do for three weeks. Because, <laughs> you know, again, we can all do pretty much anything for three weeks. Right. The next part of testing this is, it's part of like, will I love doing this and experiencing this the whole time? So then the way to figure this out is you track it every single day. You know, get your little metrics out, figure out what are the things you care about. Is it the weather? Is it the, the people? Is it the culture? Is it the activity? Is it the, the climate? Whatever, right? And say, how happy am I? What do I love it or what do I loathe? You know, and frankly, it's okay not to love everything. In fact, it's normal. These are tests. These are short-term tests to see what you like. But the trick is to keep track of it every single day. You know, like on your one to 10 scale. Today, my activity was a 10. Tomorrow, my activity was a four because it rained and I got bit by the fish or whatever. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> whatever the thing happens to be, right? And so if you just have a granular daily measurement of these different things and how you feel, it helps you track it when you're trying to rationalize later. It's a way to collect clear data, I guess is the best way to say it. Kind of in romance, it's common to vacillate across the whole spectrum. Are you totally in love with the thing? Are you completely terrified of the thing? Are you bored out of your mind? Are you filled with anxiety? You know, are you proud of yourself or you just want to go hide? I mean, it's kind of the qualitative which is how do I feel emotionally? And then the quantitative, you know, one to 10, no fives. I like marrying those two, yeah. And then uh, the third part of this is you track your mood overall. This is more like a trend line. So does your mood generally get better and better or does it get worse and worse? I know there's been a lot of things I thought I was going to enjoy. And by day three, I'm like, oh, my mood went from an eight to a six to a one. And I seem to be stuck at a one. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> you know, or it started out at a two and I thought it'd be super boring and it's a 10 every day and I can't get enough and I'm gonna have to back myself down. 
But that trend line gives you kind of the overall qualitative thing that people usually try to track here, but they miss the day-to-day uh, about the, in the individual points. So that's why we track these separately. Like I said before, one to 10, no fives, no plus or minus, no decimals. They're all cop-outs. A great example of this is how they rate wine. You know, a lot of these wine you know, observation companies or, you know, rating services, they rate from zero to 100. I don't think I've ever seen anyone get a rating under 85. Hmm. So what the hell is the point of that? I mean, the scale should be one to 15, not, you know, zero to 100, right? The point is, Professor, there is no curve here. We're not grading on a curve, right? <laughs> yeah, there is no curve. And it's good to fail. What you don't want is a maybe. You want, do I like this more than average or do I like this less than average? No maybes. Because you can't make a decision on a maybe. And that's what you're trying to do is make a decision. Got it. The last step, of course, is to draw conclusions and refine. So the benefit here of using the 1 to 10 system in no fives is because it makes it really easy to standardize your results over many varying activities. Otherwise, how do you compare skiing to fishing? Yeah. How do you compare golf to fishing? Or how do you compare walking around in a museum because you like museums? So if you can give the activities, again, 1 to 10 no fives, it allows you to try many, many, many different versions of these three-week tests and still be able to compare them against each other. And that's the part that's really helpful down the road because it's very difficult after you spend three weeks doing all these different things to really remember, hey, six months ago, I did this thing for three weeks. Did I like it? Ah, right? Again, it's just a data gathering. This is a hard thing to explain how to do. This is essentially your mileage may vary, right? You have to determine what you're going to track, how you're going to track it. So for example, if the weather is really important to you, and really good weather means it's 70 degrees, how do you score something if it's 95 degrees? How do you score it if it's five degrees? Hmm. If the target is somewhere in the middle, it can make your metrics hard to track, right? So one of the ways you deal with that is, of my ideal, how close or far away is it from my ideal? So in that case, it might be a bell curve. You might say my goal is 75. If I'm plus or minus up or above, that's the way to deal with that. But you have to be consistent. So it'll take you three or four maybe of these experiences to figure out what it is that you find really compelling. Is it the location? Is it the culture? Is it the climate? Is it the food? Is it the people? Is it the activities? You know, you might not care what country you're in if they all have a consistent idea. Maybe you like liberal, maybe you like conservative. Maybe you'll have some things that are very binary. Yeah. If you like nature, you won't spend a week in New York City. <laughs> I mean, so... <laughs> There are some of the things that are just on or off, black or white, but there are also things to varying degrees of, you know, where's your range? And I think the metrics, defining your own metrics and being consistent is part of the fun of this process. But it also is the way that you determine how to compare each of these different aspects to each other. I mean, that's how you draw the conclusion. Of course, then you have to refine it. And that's where having tracked all these things in a specific way helps you think, well, I liked this aspect of the, the process, but I didn't like that one. And you know, of this process, of course, after you've done this for one, you'll be okay at it. And then you'll try it the next time and the next time and the next time. And you keep doing this until you have four places or four activities or four experiences that you love that you think could be ready for the next example. So let's give a quick example about this. I love kiteboarding and I was terrible at it. I went to Hood River, which is supposed to be one of the most intense places to kiteboard in the world, which is right around Columbia River. Huge wind, kind of like the Mecca in, in North America. And I thought I would love it. A little small town, love kiteboarding. And what I discovered was it was really fun, but I couldn't kiteboard every day. It was too exhausting. The town was too small. Everyone knew everybody. And I like bigger towns where if I piss somebody off, I don't have to see them again. <laughs> that wasn't the case in this small little town. 
you know, and so when I looked at this, my hypothesis was, would I like this place for three weeks? Well, I liked cutting for three weeks, but I didn't really like the town. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then did I like it enough? Was I happy every day? Well, I was happy, but I also got increasingly in pain, right? I needed eventually to find a massage therapist because I just <laughs> burned myself out. I mean, you're essentially doing a high intensity activity six hours a day, every day. And it was one of those things where I thought it would be super fun, but it just got to be such a grind that at the end, my mood just started tanking every day. Yeah. I may have felt happy because I had these wonderful peak experiences, but my mood went from a 10 to a 7 to a 3 because I was in so much pain. And so when I compared that to taking a convertible trip in a car across the south of France, in that trip, I was happy every day. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is just an activity that I do and it isn't the whole core of my existence. And, and that's one of the ways I came up with this particular process. So once we've figured some of this out, and I love the idea of quantifying it as opposed to just saying, well, I kind of like this, I kind of like that, going on my gut, you, you actually have hard data. And then you can expand those trials into six-week periods, right? Right. The next phase is you take a six-week test and you do it times two. Do you like it enough? Because kind of the process here is, could I do this for the rest of my life, right? And one of the things that people forget is they have inertia. They probably live the life they currently live because they like a lot of things about it. So trying to change it in these massive swaths will likely encourage some sense of homesickness or a sense of just going back to doing whatever the nothing was that I was doing before that I thought was so terrible, <laughs> but now seems really nice, you know? Yeah. And so you go through the same process. Again, it's the make the observation, that create a hypothesis, test a hypothesis, draw a conclusion. And I'm not going to go through all the details again, but the differences here is that in the observation section, it's I found four three-week activities or destinations or experiences that I love which could best fulfill my work less and play more objective, how and when. So that's a little bit different objective and observation. And then in the hypothesis section, the hypothesis is six weeks will normalize the experience for me and will allow boredom to set in. Mm -hmm. Most people, the euphoria will, will wane off at about 20 days or 18 days in a three-week experience, which is why we keep into three weeks, so you're still excited. You know, but at a six-week level, the chance at week four, you're bored with whatever the thing is, or you've done it too many times. Or in my Hood River example, I was in so much pain, I couldn't do anything. Sure. You know, and I just kind of wandered around the hillside. So it allowed the boredom, it allowed me to experience, gee, if I'm not kiting, I don't really like this place. But it allowed me to have a boredom expansion, right? The trick here is you do the two six-week tests back to back. And you do that to essentially stress test yourself now, I've tried this the other way where you just do six weeks, then you do another six weeks test. But I found that I missed the homesickness in the middle. And the homesickness, I'm using that as a term if you're traveling, but like if you maybe change, like instead of last week, I was going to be a fisherman and this week I'm going to be a golfer and I'm going to golf every day. Do you start to regret it? We're trying to encourage a point of regret in the middle of this that maybe you're missing things about your original life. And it essentially gives you a way to see the value in your current life or what maybe you missed on the different life that you want to have for retirement. So it's a way to, to give a sense of value. Just so I'm clear here, Zurich, you do the six-week test and no gap. You do the second six weeks immediately afterwards? Yeah, immediately afterwards. And then what happens is you'll find that it amplifies any sense of homesickness or inertia that you had towards the life you had before you started these tests, which is what you want. But the good side of this is if you don't feel that sense of loss or that sense of homesickness, then you're in good shape because you're really liking what you're doing. Well, actually, it's good if you feel it, because if you feel it, you also have the sense of, oh, here are the things that I miss most in my current life. 
So I should keep track of that and make sure they're present in my future life. Ah. So it's also a way to expose what you love about your current life. Because it's really hard for most people just to change their whole existence and go to something else. There's always something they loved before. Like I like great technology and a comfortable chair. <laughs> and I want that anywhere. And that's just how it is, right? Sure. Of course, the next part of that is that you still think you'll love doing it and experiencing it for the whole time. And you're hoping to be much happier at the end. The different part in the testing phase, obviously, is after the first six weeks or during the first six weeks when you're doing the hypothesis, when did you get bored? The real key difference here is the boredom. You want to look for boredom because it's fine being bored in places. I'm bored at home. I'm bored on the islands at times, but I want to still be happy when I'm bored. It's fine to be bored. Bored is fine. But how did you handle it? Was it easy to change the activity? Are you still excited and want more at the end? And then, of course, the same test again on the second six weeks. How did you get bored? This thing hopefully is different than the first six weeks. Like you didn't say one day I'm going to be golfing and the next trip I'm going to do mini golfing. I mean, hopefully it's different enough that you also hit the same point of boredom there. And how did you handle the boredom in that experience? Got it. You know, what were the alternate activities, right? And then in the middle, again, like we talked about a second ago, what did you miss about your life before? Whether it's homesickness or people or culture or climate or food or stuff, what did you miss? And those things are going to be critical for your long-term engagement when you start doing these 90 days or your retirement tests, because you're going to want some of the things from your previous life, right? The short story on this part of it is the tracking is like how you feel every day. It's the same deal. Track your mood overall. It's the same deal. Use the numbers to rate your scores. It's the same deal. The real difference that you're looking for is in the conclusions and the refinement. What were the surprises? What were things that you never considered that you think you should have? Like, oh, I never considered it could rain six days in a row or 10 days in a row, or it could be super windy. Or in my case, in Hood River, there could be forest fires that shut the whole river down for two weeks. <laughs> could I have planned for that? No. Should I have considered that I had needed more indoor activities? Yes. Right? So was I blindsided? Was it a good blindsiding or was it a bad blindsiding? Hmm. It's just that sort of approach. And how do you leverage this for the next section, which is after you've done these two versions of your six weeks test and put them together, then you do the second version of the two six weeks test, and then you pick a winner, after which point we move on to the next phase. Which will be our final test. And we'll talk about that in episode number five. In the meantime, if one of our listeners wants to get a hold of you, Zurich, to help plan out their future, what are the best ways to reach you? Well, I've got a unique name. You know, it's my first name is Zurich, like the city in Switzerland, and Oz, like the beginning of awesome. So if you type Zurich Oz into any web browser, you'll find me immediately. Uh, my website is ZurichOz.com, Z-U-R-I-C-H-A-W-E-S.com. The phone number is 763-577-1900. And my direct email is Zurich at ZurichOz.com. The bottom line is just reach out to me with your questions. I love to talk to people and that's why I'm doing this. Great to be with you, Zurich. We'll talk again soon. 